Stone and Tile Show is proud to be sponsored by the National Tile Contractors Association. The NTCA is a leading trade association in the tile and stone industry dedicated to professional installation of ceramic tile and natural stone. With more than 1,500 members representing thousands of installers, NTCA works hard to be a strong voice for proper installation and qualified labor. The association invests in a professional staff to provide technical support and assistance and offers free educational seminars and regional training opportunities around the country. To learn more about what the NTCA can offer for you or your business, go to the website www.tile-assn.com. That's www.tile-assn.com. Good evening, folks, and welcome to another Wednesday evening. I am your host, Fred Houston, and yes, that was my dog barking in the background at the beginning of the show, so I apologize for that, but that's what I get for doing this at home. But anyway, um, you know, I've got a lot of interesting interviews coming up in the next couple of weeks, but for today, you know, I was I was kind of deciding what I wanted to do for this show, and I came up with a, what I think is a pretty good idea. Uh, over the years, I've gotten a bunch of different emails. I still get emails on a regular basis. And then sometimes those emails turn into inspections where I have to actually go out and look at a at an issue. And over the years, I've run into some pretty interesting inspections. And I kind of wanted to share some of those stories here with you today, uh, as well as answer some of the some of the most more common emails that I get. And we're going to cover the realm of everything from restoration, maintenance, selection, uh, fabrication, installation, you name it. If it has to do with stone and tile, that's what this show is all about. So with that being said, if you have any questions, if you have any comments, or you've got an interesting story to share, I'd love to hear from it. Uh, the tele call in number here is 323-870-3968. That's 323-870-3968. Now, before I get started, I do want to mention, as I usually do with all these shows, and by the way, we're up to over 90 shows, so we're slowly approaching that 100th anniversary mark. And of course, I'll let everybody know. And well, maybe I'll give away something special for that show as well. So make sure to continue listening to these live shows as well as the podcast. Uh, I mentioned last week, and I'll mention again, that I'm also rescheduling my stone tile inspection troubleshooting class for Las Vegas next year, January 25th to the 28th. Uh, for those of you that attended that show, you know it's a, or not to show, uh, my class, uh, no, it's, uh, it's a great class, well worth it. I keep the numbers down low. Uh, the maximum I'm going to take in this, this class coming up is going to be eight. So if you want to attend, I would highly suggest that you get registered ASAP. You don't have to pay for it all up front. Just go ahead and give me a deposit. Uh, give me a telephone call or, or send me an email, which I'll give out here uh, in, a few, in a few minutes. So if you're in the restoration business, fabrication business, the installation business, uh, when it comes to stone and tile, this class is not only going to teach you how to inspect, but also what to look for. Uh, in your in your trade, so uh, it's 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 a really exciting class. You're, you're going to take advantage of my 40 plus years experience uh, in this in this industry. Uh, I also have this class available as a <coughs> excuse me a correspondence class. Excuse me one minute, folks. <coughs> Ooh, 
I guess I must have swallowed one of my dog's hairs that he was she was barking at a minute ago. Anyway, uh, it's also available as a correspondence class, uh, which basically what you'll do is you'll get all the files, you'll get the actual live lecture. You'll get everything you get in the live class except for two things. In the live class, we actually go on an inspection. In Vegas, we actually go to several of the casinos and look at some failures there. And you don't get to ask me questions one-on-one. Now, you do have the ability to ask me questions via a phone call, via the show. Uh, you can send me an email. So you do have that advantage, but you don't have that that one-on-one type uh, <clears throat> type of experience that that you need sometimes when you're listening to something and you go, oh, you know what? I've got a question about that. So you may want to take a look at that. I also am offering the historic stone restoration class. So if anybody's interested in getting into the historic stone and tile restoration, I have a class for that as well. So again, send me an email. The email is fhuston, F-H-U-E-S-T-O-N at gmail.com. Or uh, as a, a send me, well, I'm going to give you my cell phone number. This is not the call in number for today. This is the cell phone number, which is 321 146845. That's 321 514 6845. The call in number for today is 323 870 And you can also send me an instant message or send me a text if you have a question and you're a little shy about being on the radio okay so let's get to it let's get to some of these um some of these emails some of these interesting stories that i've run into and i want to start out with a story that um i think is is well i i don't want to (laughs) how do i say this i don't want to downplay anybody's career out there but uh, i remember getting a call a while ago from an engineer and he had just had this countertop installed and he was rather upset with the fabricator and just wait till you hear why he was upset. And you guys in the fabrication industry will, will, will love this. And he gave me a call and he said he had a problem. He says he's thinking of suing the fabricator because he didn't get what he paid for. And I'm listening. I said, okay, what, what, what seems to be the problem? He said, well, they, delivered the countertop they you know the, the slab the, the countertop looks good there's no cracks in it or anything it seems to be installed perfectly so i'm sitting here okay what's what's the bad part what's what's he not happy with and he says here's the problem i have he said i ordered three cm countertops and i took my calipers to it and i got ripped off and i go well did you get two cm material he goes no it only measured 2.85 CMs, so I think it should be discounted by that percentage. And um, I, I kind of taken aback and, and kind of laughing at this. I'm like, um, okay, and is it? Did it measure that throughout the countertop? Because yeah, it was pretty consistent, but it wasn't quite 3 CM, and I paid for 3 CM material. So I almost laughed, but I didn't because this guy, you know, after a few minutes, I knew he was dead serious. And I had to explain to him that in our industry, there are two basic thicknesses of of granite countertops. There's two centimeters, which is three quarters of an inch roughly. And then there's three centimeters, which is inch and a quarter. Now, if you look at all the reference to, you know, you go to the Natural Stone Institute's uh, manual, it says this is a nominal thickness. And what a nominal thickness means, it's it's there or about 3 cm. 
it's there or about 2 cm. So it's not an exact measurement. So he was rather upset with that. I don't know what he ever did, but I did not get involved past that other than to educate him and let him know that uh, I don't think he had a case uh, simply because in the industry we call that material three centimeter or we call it two centimeter. And that, that's, you know, sometimes it comes in thicker than three centimeters, sometimes it comes in less. So it's, it's what we call a nominal, a nominal thickness. Story reminds me of, of, of another story that has to do with, with I, I guess you could call it term, not terminology. And terminology is something that I tend to have an issue with, especially in the stone sector of, of the industry. And that is some of our terms are not very specific or they're, they're gray areas. And I, I recently uh, had a case where this came into play where, um, well, let me tell you the story and you'll understand what I'm talking about. Um, I got a call from an attorney and the attorney was representing an agent who was importing some slate. And the slate was anywhere from, you know, four by four inches to six by six inches. So then they were all, you know, slate tiles. And he ordered what they called gauged slate. And here's where terminology comes into play. If you look up the word, first let me back up and explain what gauged is. Uh, in, in our industry, or actually in any industry, what gauging means is a uniform thickness plus or minus a given, a given amount. So typically in our industry, with slate anyway, at least when you go to the quarries and you ask you know, what, the, what the variation is, it's usually one to two millimeters plus or minus. So if you're ordering a gauge slate and that slate is say, you know, uh, 20 millimeters thick, it could be 22 millimeters thick, it could be 18 millimeters thick. That would fall within the gauging definition. Well, I went out to where this pallets were and there was a ton, ton of pallets. I forget how many, like 50 pallets. And uh, I started measuring the slate, the thickness of the slate. So I took my calipers out and I'm measuring anywhere from as thin as seven millimeters to as thick as 35 millimeters. And it varied in between that, that range all over the place. It was hard to find two tiles that were the same thickness. I mean, and we weren't talking a millimeter off or two millimeters off. I and mean, we were talking some as thin as seven millimeters, some as thick as 35 millimeters. So this definitely didn't fall into the gauged category. So to make a long story short, I mean, I contacted the, the quarry and I asked them what gauge slate was. They gave me a, a definition saying it's this thick plus or minus a millimeter. And obviously that didn't fall into what we what we were looking at here. So this goes all the way to court. I mean, we're talking full jury trial and everything. And I get up there as, as the expert witness in this case, and they ask me, and, and keep in mind the whole issue that this, this court case was on that went on for almost two years is what does gauge mean in the stone industry? So they brought me up on stand and they asked me, you know, all the typical questions, my qualifications and all that kind of stuff. And then they said, well, Mr. Houston, can you tell me what gauge means? And I said, yes, you know, if you uh, want to know, gauge is a uniform thickness, plus or minus some, you know, degree, one, two millimeters either way. So they asked me a few more questions and they said, well, how do you back up that definition? What do you, well, well, and I'm like, well, what do you mean? How do I back that definition up? And they said, well, 
how do you know that's what gauge means? And I said, well, I have three references I can cite. One is the Dimensional Stone Manual, uh, which has gauge in there, and it's defined as a uniform thickness. The other is a architectural dictionary that I had at the time, and I, off the top of my head, I can't remember what that was. And third, uh, a man by the name of Daniel Webster also has this term in his book, and it said a uniform thickness. So I thought at that point, we've nailed it, case solved, the jury ought to buy that. I was very clear. Here's the proof, you know, written in the evidence, written in, in, in documentation, uh, including the dictionary. It should be a closed case. Not so fast. And boys and girls, this is where, and I, I, I'm going to let out one of my pet peeves, where our legal system isn't always fair. And here's what happened. Another expert got up there, an expert for their side, the other side, I should say. And he looked like this heavy set Santa Claus. He had this jovial laugh to him and he was real friendly and he, he was joking and he really, he was really a likable guy. I mean, I liked him. He was a really likable guy. He had that kind of likable personality. He had the jury laughing and, and you know, joking with the jury and whatever. And then they asked him what Gage meant. And he gave this highfalutin definition of it has something to do with the dimensions looking at it crosswise, you know, according to the flux capacitor or whatever he said, which was just total, total bullshit. <laughs> and uh, uh, the jury believed him and we lost the case. Oh, oh uh, what was really funny is that they asked him about my testimony. They said, well, is engaged mean a uniform thickness? He goes, ah, well, that's what the common terminology might be. But in the industry, that's really not what it means. And I, I was, I was flabbergasted. I was really flabbergasted at that answer, but uh, it, it's just some of the interesting things I run into all the time when I when I do expert stuff and, and I look at certain inspections. So we lost the case, but we didn't lose it for much money. So, you know, I guess it was a win sort of, but it really upset me because I'm like, you know, I, here I, I'm not making this stuff up. I'm not basing it on my experience, which I could have, but I didn't. Now I'm basing it on facts, on scientific facts what the word gauge means. And, and, and I see this throughout our industry. If you tuned in and listened to my uh, uh, show a couple of weeks ago, where we were talking about, you know, bond versus coverage. Uh, we had Scott Carruthers on and we were talking about uh, the, uh, how some of these associations now are actually addressing some of this, this terminology, especially when it comes to, to certain words that we use in the industry that, you know, for example, installers, every installer knows what a mud bed is. There's no, definition out there in any written, you know, authoritative type manual that defines what mud is. We know what it is, but it's not written out there. And, and, and it's funny, I use that word because I actually had a case years ago where uh, that word was used in a lawsuit and we were able to prove that the word mud is an industry term. It's a slang term that installers use and it, it's really not so to me, they're, they're, the, the associations are doing some wonderful work, but there, there's some still a lot more work that needs to be done when it comes to uh, it comes to terminology. So that's that story. Uh, let's go ahead and, and let me um, take an email here before I go into a, another story. And one of the most common questions I get in emails, and I, and, and I, I kid you not, I probably get two or three of these a week, is usually with white Carrara marble. It's usually in a shower or sometimes a wet area. 
and it's turning yellow, it's turning red, or it's turning brown stains. And I know I've covered this on the show, but for those of you listening for the first time or haven't heard those past shows, basically this is a very common problem with white marbles. White marbles contain iron, and it doesn't need a lot of iron. And if you expose that that stone, that white karar, to moisture, you give it the environment for the iron to start oxidizing. In other words, in common terms, it's basically rusting. And once that happens, it's very difficult to remove. Is it impossible? No. I mean, I've had had several cases. I, I just recently had a case uh, down south where it was a historic home around the, I think, the 18th century, and uh, the marble was starting to turn yellow because it, it, this wasn't a shower. This was a kind of a ballroom. And it started turning yellow because the HABAC system went out and it got really humid inside this room and it started to oxidize. Well, we were able to get to it soon enough. Now, the good news is, and this is something, if you're aware of that, you might not be aware of this, is that when I've done cross sections of stone that has had this problem, if it's caught in the very beginning, it's usually on the surface. It's not down deep because in order for oxidation to occur, you need to have the moisture, which is obvious, but you also need oxygen. You need air. So if down below, you might not have as much oxidation. So generally, this oxidation, this rusting, if you will, takes place on the surface of the stone first. So if you can get to it quick enough, uh, you can reverse it. Now, you might ask, well, Fred, how would I go about and reverse it? There's lots of iron remover, removers out there. One of my favorites is to make a poultice with iron out. Iron out is what you buy at the at the home centers, uh, go into the plumbing department. It's what they use for removing iron and water softeners. You want to mix that iron out in a poultice powder. You can use flour. Mix it about 20% iron out to the rest of it being being the poultice powder. Add some water. Apply it on on a paste. And you go through the whole poulticing poulticing procedure. I'm not going to go through that during this show. You can go back and listen to my other shows to get that if you if you'd like. But uh, sometimes it works. To be honest with you, sometimes it doesn't. So it's one of those situations that depends on, you know, how did the oxidation occur? Did it did it occur recently? Has it been there a while? So time is of the essence. Uh, you know, there's all kinds of factors factors involved. But that's that's probably one of the most common common emails I get. Um, let me take another another email, another common email. And this again, I've, I've discussed these on past shows, but uh, they're so common, I think they're worth mentioning again. And that is on countertops, especially granite countertops, although it could be in any, could be a marble, quartzite, whatever. What's the difference between a crack and a fissure? And this, again, is another email and, and call I get on a regular basis because uh, a lot of times the customer, and I can also say fabricators as well, uh, don't know the difference. Um, now, we can get really te technical, if you will. And we can basically state that uh, a fissure is defined as a crack, but it's more of what we call a natural crack or what I like to call an occlusion in the stone. So, you know, how do you tell? How do you can you can you look at a crack and or look at a fissure and tell whether it's a crack or whether it's a fissure? And there are some clues. Uh, the first clue is to run a fingernail across the, the suspected crack slash fissure. If your fingernail catches, and it's usually catching because one side is higher than the other, it's probably a crack that occurred sometime within either as it was being installed or, or after it's being installed. Now, fissures can turn into cracks, obviously. So a fissure can crack, and actually 
if a countertop is going to crack, it's probably going to crack along the fissure line. So you can have a fissure that becomes a crack. If you run your fingernail across it, you can't feel it, chances are it's a fissure. That, that's one clue. The second clue is to look at how the crack travels through the stone. So let's say you have a, a very uh, large crystal granite. Let's say a blue pearl, for example, that has very large crystals. And the crack goes around each crystal instead of through the crystal. Uh, you, you, could have a, you could have a crack. So, you know, looking at the pattern, looking underneath the, the countertop, if you can, can see underneath the countertop, does it go all the way, was it all the way through? That's one other clue, the color of it. Does it go on the side? So uh, it, it can be tricky at times. It can be really tricky because I've had case upon case upon case where I've actually been called out to look at a countertop that the customer thought it was a crack and it wasn't a crack. On the other hand, I've been called out to situations where the customer thought it was a crack and lo and behold, yes, sir, it was a crack. So that's something uh, you need to be real careful of uh, if you're a consumer buying uh, granite or any stone for that matter. You know, inspect the slab thoroughly, run your fingernails across it to make sure it doesn't have any any cracks in it. If you're a fabricator and an installer, you know, you want to check that as well, because I, I have seen now, I'm not saying all fabricators are this way, but there are fabricators out there that won't own up to the stone being cracked. Now, the question you should have is, is a crack repairable? And this kind of gets into a gray area, too, because if you look at the design manual, the Natural Stone Institute's design manual, repairs are acceptable as long as they're aesthetically pleasing. In other words, a good color match. And they're not structured. They're not a structural crack. In other words, uh, if you have a crack with an overhang that's, that's too, uh, too long of an overhang and it cracks, uh, if it hasn't fallen already, it could very well fall. So, you know, you have to take that into consideration. So you kind of get into a gray area as to should I repair this crack? Should I not repair this crack? And, and typically what happens with customers with repairs, and I've done a lot of repairs in my career, is if the customer knows it's there, no matter how good you are, no, I mean, you could literally make that crack disappear. They're going to see it. They're, they're, they're thinking they have a flawed uh, countertop because it had, it had cracked. So. Well, folks, if you are listening live, you probably, uh, well, you're not hearing what I'm saying right now because this part is recorded. I'm sorry about that. I had some technical difficulties here. Uh, we'll try to get those straightened out for the next show. But anyway, uh, I wanted to continue with, uh, I think I covered the crack versus fissure uh, issue uh, relatively well. And, again, I've, I actually have covered that on other shows, so you can go back and check that out if, you, if you'd like. But I'd like to continue on with a couple of more, uh, a couple of more stories, kind of interesting interesting stories that have happened to me over the years and then we'll we'll call it a we'll call it a show I guess so but before I do uh, let me go ahead and take a quick break here and uh, I'll be back right after this thank you tough skin one of our gold sponsors marble etches and stains tough skin guarantees it will not tough skin provides a unique product and installation service anywhere in the USA with a proprietary stone laminate products they protect marble countertops with an acid, oil, and waterproof guarantee. That's right, it's now possible to install marble, onyx, and travertine countertops without the worry of etching and staining from common household items like wine, lemon, coffee, or other acidic foods. People have been trying to figure this out for thousands of years, and Tough Skin Surface Protection has done it. 
available in gloss and satin to match the countertop finish. Visit them online at toughskinprotection.com. That's T-U-F-F skinprotection.com to learn more. All righty, folks, we're back. And, you know, th- this story I'm about to tell you is kind of interesting. And, uh, you know, I, it, it never ceases to amaze me uh, some of the things that happen in this industry. And this happens to be one of them. This happened a few years ago. I got a call from an installer that was actually installing a limestone wall. Now, this it was a brand-new wall, but he was actually adding to an existing wall. Now, the existing wall had all these molds and uh algae growing on it and all kinds of biological growth growing on it and he was adding and extending the wall with new limestone well it was the same limestone and he calls me and he said i've got an issue the customer really likes all the growth on the old stone and is there a way that i can actually grow uh, you know rapidly this you know the mold the mildew the moss or whatever on the new stone quickly rather than have to wait years for it to happen and blend in. And this is where my biology background comes comes into play. And I thought about that for a minute and I said, let me get back to you. So I called the <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> I called a friend of mine that uh, I went to school with who happens to be what is called a bryologist. And what a bryologist is, is he studies molds, mildews, lichens, moss, everything like that. And I gave him a call. He happened to be working for a major university. And I, I asked him, I said, is there any kind of formula that we can apply to this stone in order to get it to grow quickly? And he said, yeah, there is. So this is this is the formula. So for some reason, if you guys have ever run into this issue and, uh, <laughs> and and want to grow mold or any of these biological growth quickly, this is what you do. You take a bucket, a five-gallon bucket, and you get some beer. doesn't matter whether it's a Corona or a Heineken, just some uh, old cheap beer. You pour that in, in, into the bucket. You mix that with some yogurt, and it doesn't have to be a flavored yogurt. Actually, I think they would prefer a non-flavored yogurt. Mix that, and then add to that a packet of yeast, you know, the brewer's yeast. Mix that up, take a paintbrush, paint that on the wall in small sections, and then go over to the old wall and take a piece of moss or whatever biological growth you want and kind of, you know, take small pieces and place it in the crevices, the grout lines or whatever in that in that limestone and guess what that'll provide the food necessary for it to start growing and i finally got a call from this guy about a year after the fact and uh guess what it was growing it was growing relatively rapidly so uh, i know you guys out there are usually called in to remove stuff like this but in this case they actually wanted it to wanted it to, to grow so uh kind of interesting um the last story I'll, I'll tell you is and I've got a ton of different emails and, and stories to tell, so I think we're going to leave that for part two. We'll, we'll pick that up next week. But the last story, uh, I may have mentioned this on, on some of the previous shows, but it's, it's a story worth, worth repeating. Uh, you installers out there are probably familiar with what happens with the serpentine marbles, the green marbles, in other words, when you install them with you know, water-based setting materials, thin sets, muds, or whatever, they tend to curl a condition known as hysteresis. Well, I got a call from an airport, a small airport, 
and uh, they said they had a problem with their stone curling. So I walked in, and right away, uh, it, yep, all all the corners of the green marble were curled. These were 12 by 12 marbles, and I went in, and I knew right away what was happening, and uh, I took a piece out, and sure enough, it was just a regular, you know, non-modified thin set, and it caused it to curl. So I went back, told the owner of the of the small airport what it was, and he said, fine. I need you to come in next week, and we're going to have a meeting, and we're going to have the installer in here. We're going to have a talk with the installer. Fine. Been there before, so not, not an issue. I was kind of interested to see what the installer was going to say about this, and uh, just wait. This is, this is You're going to think this is a joke, but it's not. So the following week, I go to the to this meeting. I walk in. And everybody introduces themselves. The installer was this older uh, Italian gentleman. And uh, we got started, and they look at the, the installer. And they say to him, uh, well, he's, can you tell us, you know, what happened here? He goes, oh, yes. He says, I, I've run into this problem before. Now, you can imagine this with a heavy Italian accent. And they said, oh, okay, so what's the issue? He goes, this is green marble. And green marble has plant matter growing in it. And because there's plants in there, when you mop the floor, you introduce water into the stone. And it causes the plants to start growing. And that's what's happening. It's the plants are actually growing in the stone, causing the marble to cure. Well, at this point, I had all I could do to laugh. And I thought the guy was possibly joking, but he kept going on and on. And he was dead serious. So they're all looking at him like he's got a screw loose. I'm trying to keep back from laughing. They try to keep a straight face, and they turn around, and they look at me, and they go, well, what do you think? Like, for a minute, I didn't know what to say. And I said, well, that's not exactly what the issue is here. And I went ahead to explain what hysteresis was and why this stuff does it and why you shouldn't use this type of setting material or mortar or whatever. So uh, he got really pissed off stood up, walked out, and left. Now, end of story. So, folks, that's not a joke. That actually happened. <laughs> and it's just some of the things that uh, that I've run into over the years and some of the weird, uh, weird things. And I've got plenty more of those stories. But unfortunately, we are out of time. I apologize for the, for the delay of technical difficulties we had there a few minutes ago. But um, Next week we'll have those. Uh, we'll continue with some of these stories and uh, some of the, some of your emails. In the meantime, if you have any questions at all concerning stone or tile, and I don't care whether it's installation, fabrication, restoration, maintenance, uh, selection, or whatever, uh, go ahead and send me an email at fhuston. That's f h u e s t o n at gmail dot com, or you can go ahead and uh, hop onto my website, which is stoneforensics dot com. And again, I just want to reiterate. I do have the live stone inspection and troubleshooting seminar coming up in January during the Stone Show uh, out in Las Vegas. That's January 25th through the 28th uh, for the seminar. Uh, If you're interested in that, please give me a call. My cell phone number is 321-514-6845. So, folks, thanks for listening. Until next time, keep setting those tiles, polishing that stone, and fabricating those tops. Later, my friends. 
Are you looking for quality greenstone working products? ESP sells many lines of fine quality, environmentally safe products. Stone Pro, MB Stone Care, Bondstone and Touchstone Adhesives, more Stone Care products, Easy Care products, and Better Bio, which is over 80% bio-based and approved by the USDA. For more info, visit ESPSales.net. That's ESPSales.net. 